And sometimes I work in HIV prevention and sometimes it's trying to curb childhood marriage. Uh, but all of the projects that I work on have this underlying theme of working around challenging gender norms, bringing people together to talk about these pervasive gender norms that are sometimes, oftentimes, you know, harming our culture, harming our people. And I found that in, I've never been to a country that doesn't have a gender inequality issue, including my own, and I've lived in Canada as well, so I put um, North America into that list, obviously. And I think it looks different from place to place, but I think everyone is struggling with it. I actually did some focus groups with some young women when I started writing because I'm in my mid 40s, I'm a Gen Xer, and I really wanted to know what young women were thinking today, what their expectations were. And there was this um, naivete, I think is the, the best way to put it, thinking, well, if we both work, then naturally we'll both take care of the home equally. And what I found from the many couples and the many experts that I interviewed is that that doesn't just happen naturally. It can happen, but it takes work and it takes intentionality and it takes not just one conversation, but many conversations. My number one advice is to talk about this early and often. Educate yourself on what the status quo is. The statistic right now that is widely accepted by all academics in this space is that in the United States, women, when you have a dual working household, so both people are contributing to the economy and contributing to family income, women do twice as much in the home as men. That's the standard. Um, across, you know, sort of average across American families. So if men do 10 hours of work in the home a week, women are doing 20. If they're doing 15, you're doing 30. That's a, you add that up over the course of a year. Can you imagine what you could do with an extra 15 hours a week? You might actually be well rested. You might explore um, a promotion at work. You might put in overtime and make more money. You might actually just be able to have dinner with a friend once in a while. There's so many things that women aren't able to do because they are overburdened with household work. So educate yourself on what that status quo is and then educate yourself and your partner. Have conversations in your partnership frequently about what you're going to do to overcome that stereotype. This is Level Up, a Mother Honestly podcast powered by Indeed. The last two years have been about mothers taking a step back to support our families as we navigate the post-pandemic future of women at work. We are back, ready to level up personally and professionally. We host real and honest conversations with global leaders in parenting, business, work, and life, providing step-by-step -step solutions for your next level. I am your host, Blessing Adeshion, founder and CEO of Mother Honestly, a chemical engineer, energy, supply chain, and operational excellence leader, and a mother of four. You will also hear from my friend and co-host, Andrea Molan, founder and CEO of Victory Public Relations, 
and mother to two boys. We are here to level up with Indeed. Hello, Kay. Thanks for joining the Mother Honesty podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today, Blessing. Oh, no, thank you. So we normally start our podcast with a host chat where myself and Andrea, we talk about all the things that happened to us the weekend before. And, you know, then we dive into who we are interviewing for that day. But Andrea has a sick kid today. So she is um, probably in a taxi somewhere in New Jersey or New York with a sick son. Um, they are heading to the doctor, so we are just hoping and praying that she's fine and the you know the little guy is fine. Um, so I'm going to be the only one interviewing you today, but thank you so much for joining us. So for everyone listening, Kate is the author of an upcoming book called Equal Partners, Improving Gender Equality at Home. And Kate, I met you in San Francisco when we both went to uh, the Papua Summit by the Institute of Women's and Policy Research, which was one of the most amazing conferences that I have attended. And um, it was really centered around equity. It was centered around gender equity, um, the role that women play in today's society. So if you can just share a little bit about yourself and why you wrote this book, I think I will love to hear that. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you again for the opportunity to have this conversation today. And it's almost, um, you know, I think it's interesting that that Andrea had this circumstance today, because this is something that we all deal with in our lives all the time. We're constantly working on plan B, C, D, E, F, because nothing ever seems to go according to plan. And, and we need to have workplaces and friends and networks that help us with those contingency plans. So I'm um, happy that um, your organization supports a woman who has to take off time to be with her sick child. So I work in international development, which is, so I come at this um, writing project, I think from a, a somewhat unique angle. My background is in social change and development. And the way I explain that to people is in order to get real, sustainable, lasting change, we need two things to happen. We need the top-down policy work. We need, we need legislation and we need policies that allow for paid parental leave, that allow for um, uh, and, you know, um, affordable uh, daycare and childcare infrastructure. We need policies. That's extremely important. But we also have the bottom up. We also have the social change factor. Um, and that's what I do. That's my piece. That's what I've been doing for my whole career. I work in a variety of countries. And sometimes I work in HIV prevention, and sometimes it's trying to curb childhood marriage. Uh, but all of the projects that I work on have this underlying theme of working around challenging gender norms, bringing people together to talk about these pervasive gender norms that are sometimes, oftentimes, you know, harming our culture, harming our people. And I found that in, I've never been to a country that doesn't have a gender inequality issue, including my own, and I've lived in Canada as well. So I put um, North America into that list, obviously. 
And I think it looks different from place to place, but I think everyone is struggling with it. And I haven't met too many people who, once you really sit down and start to talk about the issues, you know, I find that people really value gender equality. They might not always know what to do about it, but it's something that um, you can really get consensus on. I want to pause here and talk about our partner, Indeed. The last few years have forced women to rethink the role that work plays in their lives. In fact, flexibility has become a major priority for women going back to work. As a mother of four, I understand how important it is to have flexibility in your job. As much as I would love for things to always go according to plan, life with kids is unpredictable Indeed can help mamas like you find a company that is empathetic and understanding of your needs. Because it's not just about finding a place to work, it's about finding a job that works for you. With Indeed, you can find a job that has the flexibility to fit your life, not the other way around. Not to mention, with Indeed's Work Happiness Report, you can make sure a company scores well on the things that matters most to you like compensation, inclusion, and flexibility. Visit indeed.com slash betterwork to learn more about how Indeed is committed to helping women find better work. I love that so much. I think, you know, it's it's something that I struggle with. Um, I don't know that there's any home where we truly have gender equity right mm -hmm. or gender equality i i haven't seen it and Me i neither. think that and i think the reason is like you said it's there's a lot of social um nuances to it right mm -hmm. um one is the way we've been nurtured the way mm -hmm. we've been we've been raised the way that we continue to show up in our society um and, and I think that it's time that we start having these conversations, right? Um, because as you know, one of, the, one of the statistics or data that we're looking at now is just in general, how young women are in 22 states are out earning men and they're saying that they don't want to have kids. Um, and I know that I, I got the advanced copy of your book and one of the chapters talks about the inequality um, you know, without kids and, and why are we perpetuating domestic inequality? And, and I think that, or even, you know, in this case, caregiving, right, inequality, because we do know that in most relationships, especially as heterosexual relationships, that women are the ones bearing the burden of the caregiving. Um, and unfortunately for us, we are also, you know, at least 70% of women are either breadwinners, primary breadwinners, or, or co-breadwinners, which means, you know, that they are also, <laughs> you know, they have a career. And I saw somewhere the statistics that also shows that, in fact, the women that do more on the home front are ambitious women um, that have real careers. And so can you share with us through your work, your findings, and this new book coming out called Equal Partners, 
improving gender equality at home. Can you share what you found? That would be several hours, but let me try to highlight a couple things that I found out. Because so, <laughs> uh, I know this is this is not that long of a podcast. I think, okay, so the first thing that comes to mind when you said that, and, and I do, I have a chapter on inequality without kids, and I have a chapter on inequality with kids, because I think that this conversation often ends up with the nuclear family of sort of um, working moms with little kids. And I think this conversation is far greater than that nuclear family. I think we need to talk about all kinds of couples, kids, no kids, um, no matter what your gender identity is, um, you know, whether you're living together or you're married, I think we need to sort of broaden our definition of couple because inequality happens in all kinds of households. It doesn't just happen when kids enter, there's inequality before kids too. Um, so going back, I think one of the number one things that I learned is that gender equality is not getting better naturally. We see gender, um, gender fluidity has become much more acceptable in mainstream. We see Gen Z growing up. They're much more comfortable with people um, exploring and changing pronouns. There's a lot of acceptance around fluidity, around gender identity, and there are some really fantastic and great and needed conversations around that. But when it comes to relationships, when it comes to the home, when the doors are closed and it's two people who are in a intimate private space, we still see inequality and we don't see it getting better. In fact, we've had a plateau since the early 80s. The millennials, bless you if you're listening, haven't made much headway in this space and there's no data that suggests that Gen Z is making any headway. I actually did some focus groups with some young women when I started writing because I'm in my mid-40s, I'm a Gen Xer, and I really wanted to know what young women were thinking today, what their expectations were. And there was this um, naivete, I think is the, the best way to put it, thinking, well, if we both work, then naturally we'll both take care of the home equally. And what I found from the many couples and the many experts that I interviewed is that that doesn't just happen naturally. It can happen, but it takes work and it takes intentionality and it takes not just one conversation, but many conversations. And it seems to be something because you mentioned blessing a few minutes ago that our, our gender norms, our social norms are so deeply embedded in us. We start hearing and seeing and watching role modeling, right, from and, and messaging from TV and radio and YouTube and Netflix and Twitter and TikTok and friends and relatives from the time that we're born. And so how do you overcome a lifetime's worth of gender norms? It kind of takes a lifetime to overcome it. You just have to have intentionality the same way that we need intentionality about anti-racism. We need intentionality about anti-sexism. Oh, I love that so much. It almost feels like it needs to be something that we choose, right? It must be something we yeah. choose. Yeah. And, and because, you know, none of us chose our gender, right? I think I picked that up from your book, which is, you know, the fact that we didn't choose our gender. Um, but I think somewhere in your book, you said, but from here, we each have to decide where to go. And... Um, and in, in further in the book, you said something that really resonated with 
resonated with me um, because a lot of times we are very quick, um, especially women in this space, to blame the men to say, you know, that's the reason why we can't get anything done. Yeah. Um, he said something that resonated with me, which is though m- most men don't choose patriarchy, many men go with the flow, <laughs> benefiting from their position within the system. So it almost seems like, you know, we can blame them and we can't, right? Uh, because it seems like, you know, they were born into this social, this gender norm and, and this dynamic, um, but they've just chosen to remain silent, right? They've yeah. chosen to go with the flow. Because, yes. gee, I'm getting fresh meals, right. laundry done. Right. Why do I need to complain, right? right? I'm not the one I'm suffering here. But we also know that this continues to affect women's mental health and well-being and, and, and burnout and their ability or inability um, to, to make money. Um, I always say that the only reason the pay gap exists is because, you know, women are still doing unpaid work around the house and women are still having babies. And there's no real, we don't have a way to make up for that. Um, and so I, and I always joke that if this was men having babies, we would have figured out a much better system to make sure this works. So, so, for, so what advice do you have? And I know this is, I honestly don't even want to make it an advice because, you know, we, we all know what the issues are, but for women that are doing struggling they want this right they want this equal partnership on the home front they want this gender equality at home and they don't want to wait a lifetime right they don't want to wait a lifetime i know a lot of women that are leaving their marriages because they're like this is hopeless this is hopeless i can't do this anymore i can't keep cleaning cooking and there's this expectation that i need to keep doing all of this work and i still need to bring you know with her half or i know some breadwinners that i a lot of them doing this work, which I don't like the word breadwinner, um, but it's what everybody understands. Right. So what 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 do you have to say to this women? What do you have to say to them? Okay, so I wrote this question down, so I'm not gonna forget it because it's a good one, but I wanna back up. Before I answer that question, I wanna say something else that kind of responds to what you're talking about before, because you said we're all raised in this gendered society. We're all victims, if you want to use that word, or survivors of gender socialization. People of all genders, all of us. We grew up in the same misogynist network, right, or um, social framework. And you said that women are suffering. And I would say, yes, women are suffering. And women, women's suffering is very evident it's very clear it's very real it's very painful and it happens every day i also think men are suffering i don't think it's every day and i don't know if it's as evident and i think it's harder to pinpoint which is probably why we don't talk about it as much because it isn't as visible as women's suffering and it's very different but i think that men are suffering because they because men are pushed into this breadwinning role because men are pushed into this providing for the family role and pushed away from empathy and connection and relationships and love, we're we're talking to more and more men who are finding themselves midway through their life towards the end of their life who do not have any emotional connections or bonds with spouses, with children, with friends, with family. And that is is suffering, That, that has emotional and physical 
um, implications. And we have research around that from Promundo and, and some other men's organizations that have said, look, we have heart disease, we have depression, we have all of these physical and emotional factors that come from the fact that we're not allowing our boys to form these emotional connections that we encourage in women and girls. So it's a different kind of suffering. I'm the first one to say that I'm not trying to equate these two situations, but I think it's important to acknowledge that. So when you say, what do we, what do we say to women? Anyone, let's start with women who are entering a relationship. They're, um, they're establishing a new relationship. My number one advice is to talk about this early and often. Educate yourself on what the status quo is. The statistic right now that is widely accepted by all academics in this space is that in the United States, women, when you have a dual working household, so both people are contributing to the economy and contributing to family income, women do twice as much in the home as men. That's the standard um, across, you know, sort of average across American families. So if men do 10 hours of work in the home a week, women are doing 20. If they're doing 15, you're doing 30. That's a you add that up over the course of a year. Can you imagine what you could do with an extra 15 hours a week? You might actually be well rested. You might explore um, a promotion at work. You might put in overtime and make more money. You might actually just be able to have dinner with a friend once in a while. There's so many things that women aren't able to do because they are overburdened with household work. So educate yourself on what that status quo is, and then educate yourself and your partner. Have conversations in your partnership frequently about what you're going to do to overcome that stereotype. I have some questions in the book. I have some reflection boxes. And I think it's important in those conversations to talk about that suffering that I just mentioned a few minutes ago, because we're not just trying to talk to men about the fact that we need gender equality for women's benefit, which we do, obviously. We also need gender equality for men's benefit. And the 40 men that I interviewed for this book who are living as equal partners, and I'm happy to talk more about that if you want, none of them would say that they've given anything up. All of them said, I've chosen to live this way because I benefit because I have an amazing relationship with my kids, because I have an amazing relationship with my spouse, because I'm happy, I'm fulfilled, I'm healthy. And I think that that conversation around what benefits everyone when you have an equal partnership is a really important conversation to have. Um, I can move on to the women who are already partnered, but do you have anything to follow up on or any thoughts oh, around this? Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> so two thoughts, two thoughts. The first is, you know, part of me is like, yes, I agree. Mm -hmm. And part of me is like, you know, and I and I know that I speak for a lot of women. Mm -hmm. You know, see women doing twice the amount of work, and some people are actually doing everything. Mm -hmm. um, when I see them, I ask myself, is their partner, does their partner consider them, right? Because for me, right, if you truly love someone, and you see this person breaking their backs, mm -hmm. can, would you sit there and just continue to, you know, be rewarded for doing nothing? Or would you say, can I help? What can I help with? And so, so, so that is, to me is always the disconnect yeah. um, when I see these things happening. So, th so that's one. The yeah. other piece that is, that is a disconnect 
is, you know, this idea that we can somehow have women continue to sort of try to fix this, right? Um, having these conversations. And, I, and that's why I love your book, because it really speaks to both sides. And you did a lot of work to connect with, you know, organizations that I love, like A Call to Men, right? Um, which I have spoken on some of your panels before. And I love everything they are doing with young boys, starting young even, um, to really to really make sure that we are raising the next generation of men that can truly lead and support. Right. And so the, the, the other piece is, you know, how can we make sure that this is really on men um, to, to, to fix? So that's the second piece. And then the last and final piece, and I'm going to say this because, you know, I think, there's a, there's, I think that there is somewhere in between, in between these two different things that I've shared, which is one, does that partner really consider you? And then the other is, you know, why is it women that will continue to fix this? But the more personal story or the more personal example is my husband stepping in to give the kids a bath. We have four kids and stepping in to give the kids a bath. And I think I, this, I, this came or this, this story came to mind when you were talking about how we have allowed men to be far away or we've excluded men or men have excluded themselves somehow because of the gender norms from mm -hmm. empathy connection. And I remember when my husband stepped in to start giving the kids a bath and how, you know, he was able to do it better than I did. You know, I would take the kids to the bath and I would just do this, like, get out. Like a quick car wash, you know? And he really took his time, you know, went online, ordered bath, you know, um, the right bat toys, a bat mat, because we didn't have a bat mat in the tub. Um, he's a germaphobe, so he takes his time to wash the bat tub after every single child, wow. <laughs> right? He has yeah. his full buckets, and um, and he spends more time actually washing their nails, you know, toenails and fingernails, and really getting underneath and starting from the top to the bottom. And I, I was just like, wow. Like, one, he's doing a better job than me, and two, he's actually having conversations with the kids and they're singing and they're having fun. And part of me is like, wow, you know, 10, 20 years from now, our kids are going to remember this. Yes. And, you know, and, and this is part of, you know, their humanity, his humanity and his ability to continue to be a part of their story and part of their lives, um, even when he's no longer here or when we're no longer here. So for me, you know, how do we get men to understand that this isn't just about now, right? This is this is also about later when, you know, later in the future when you're older or when you're long gone, this is how you're remembered. This is part of your humanity. This is part of your story. And every single time you say no to building connection, every single time you say no to being empathetic, or considered or considering your spouse or your partner or your kids, you are saying no to your humanity. Um, so anyways, that's sort of like my whole, I, I don't know where I was going with that, but those were the three things that came to mind um, after what you shared, Kate. I mean, so let me go back. So that, that do you care about them? Do you love them? How are you married to someone? How are you partnered with someone? You're committed to this person and you watch them 
break their back every day? And how can you not, how are you okay with that? I mean, I don't know the answer to that question. I couldn't do it. I would be very angry and resentful if I were partnered with someone who was like that. Um, but, and one of the guys in my book, actually said, I, don't mean to cut you off. I don't mean to cut you off, but we need to stress that part. That is the thing. Women are resentful towards yeah. their partner. We've seen that multiple times, you know, even here at Mother Honestly, where women are sending us long emails, DMs about just how awful, you know, their partners are to them or how they feel like they are just now here to continue to churn out work. And so the resentment is building. And we are working with a lot of amazing people um, like Daditude, who one of the conversations we want to have is how do women actually forgive? Right? How do we forgive, you know, our partners um, who, after they've entered this marriage or relationship, decided that they are not going to be physically involved? Right? So right. I'll let you continue your thoughts. I'm sorry for jumping in. No, I'm glad you jumped in. And I think, I think I'm, I'm glad you did because this is, this is the reality. There are a lot of people. There are, I think there's people, it's a, it's a continuum, right? There are women who are in relationships where they feel like they're doing pretty much everything. They're like twice as much, please. He's doing nothing and I'm doing everything. And they're suffering. They're suffering every single day and they're resentful. And I don't, I understand that. We all understand that. Then there are the people who, okay, he's helping. He's doing some. He'll unload the dishwasher if I ask him. He'll do baths if I ask him. But I'm still doing all the cognitive labor and it, the burden's still on me, right? Those are two different, I think, steps in the continuum. And the whole, I mean, I think when you talk about social change, the idea is to get further along the continuum for wherever you are. And where what's right and what's wrong is really very personal. I'm not necessarily saying everyone has to get to this point. It's really whatever your own partnership, your own family is comfortable with. I, you know, I think that when you have that, that resent, and I've talked to many women as well, who are her, like, they're at the point of leaving because they think I'd, I'd rather do this on my own. It would be easier on my own. I wouldn't have to perform a wife and mother role, I could just make all the decisions and I, it would be easier on my own. And we have data now that shows that that single mothers do less housework per week than married than women who are married to a male partner. I mean, that's just incredible. Uh, and it's not because single moms are lazy. It's because they don't have to perform these extra gender roles that heteronormative women, cisgender women have to perform. I can tell you, I've, I've been a single mom. So this is my second marriage. And I can tell you mm -hmm. that it's less work it's less yeah. work because you just focus on, you know, those kids and you move on. And a lot of time, you know, they are, they are gone for the weekend or every other weekend. And that's time for you to do all the things that you want to do. And so, you know, how do we make sure that women still have this, you know, are still able to take care of themselves, even in a, in a heterosexual relationship? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not a couples counselor and I wish that I were because then maybe I would have some, some better words of wisdom about how you would broach those conversations. But one of the men that I interviewed, he, he said to me, he's like, I, I love my wife and I'm in this for the long game. Like I wanna be with her. He's like, if, if everything goes according to plan and we don't have any health emergencies, I'm gonna have many years with this woman when the kids are grown and out of the house. How could I look her in the eye every day and 
and respect myself if I had just mailed it in when the kids were little and allowed her to do everything. And what that leads me, this was a, this was an accident. It was a by, it was, you know, when you do research, it was a question I didn't ask. It just is something that materialized. So I, I interviewed 40 men, um, for this book who are living as equal partners, which means they do half of the physical and cognitive labor in their home. And I use those stories to inform sort of what our expectation is. It's aspirational. It is definitely not what we have now. It's looking towards the future. What do we want for our kids? What do we want for us in 10 years and 20 years? All 40 of them had great marriages or relationships. Not all of them were married. All of them had great relationships. I talked to them. I talked to their partners. They had hard days. They had arguments. They had months where they weren't getting along as well because every one of us who's partnered knows what those are like. But they had good communication. They respected each other and they worked it out. And I don't think that is an accident. I think that that's I think that sometimes relationship quality and I'm starting to move into an area where I don't have expertise. So I'm going to pull back. There's an overlap there with treatment of each other and what you're willing to watch your partner do without stepping up. I mean, is is that do you have any uh, ideas around that blessing or is that pretty much? No, I, just, I, I, I think I think I, I you know, we this work we've been doing it for three four years now and it's we almost sound like a broken record <laughs> you know right. because we've just seen how it's decimated women's um mm -hmm. confidence yeah um, how it's decimated how they feel about and you had it i read it somewhere where you talked about knowing your worth and knowing your value right yeah. Um, because a lot of time we've seen some relationships where women are completely taken advantage of and they don't know how to, how to share, you know, what they're going through mm -hmm. and how to push back and how to say, this is not okay. Yeah. This is not something that I, I, I will stand for. And we have seen, I think I posted something on Instagram or Twitter, just powerful, strong, and ambitious women um, brought to their knees by, you know, something as simple as laundry, right? Where your career and everything just takes a nosedive because you just can't get away from doing the laundry, from doing the cooking, the cleaning, and all of the errands. And so what I, what I think that we need to start talking about is, education which is why i love your book right um equal partners because i think that the education piece is how we are going to get out of this it is how we're going to move towards equal partnership it is how we are going to continue having this discussion and these conversations in a way that doesn't build resentment in a way that says this is what the future will look like right this is how we build an equal partnership this is what we, what we can look forward to when when relationships and partnerships on the home front becomes equal. Because I think a lot of people still don't have an idea of what it means right. to, for, for partnership to be equal. I mean, a lot of people didn't believe me. And so I think that was part of the reason I wanted to write the book is to say, listen, this can happen if we, but we all have to work together to get there. So... I, 
I wholeheartedly agree. Education is a big part of it and conversation. So let's start with that resentful woman because you mm -hmm. might have a listener out there right now who's at that point. So you and I can't fix that relationship and we can't make that male partner do anything that he's not going to do. But what we can do, what you've been doing for the for as long as you've had um, you know, your this work, is you say to those women, we hear you, we believe you, and this isn't right. Because for too long, I think women gave each other the message, not just women, the our our society sent the message to women. If something isn't balanced in your home, it's either your fault or here's how you work around him. And I hear women doing this with other women all the time. Oh, yeah, he's not pulling his weight. I know that's just men. They're awful, right? Have you tried meal kits or have you tried like a laundry service? Or what if you hired a nanny on Saturdays just to give you some time? We're always trying to help women navigate around this roadblock, right? And that's we need to stop that. Let's call a spade a spade. Like he's letting you down. He is letting you down. And we are sorry that you're in this situation and we believe you and it is hard and you shouldn't be here. And, and he's letting you down. Let's just start with that and acknowledge it and call a spade a spade and stop telling each other that men aren't capable of more, or this is just what guys do. That's not true. Men are capable of going to the moon if they want to. So why aren't they capable of doing cognitive labor in their home? Absolutely. What do you say about men that, or we, we, responses that I hear a lot is he, he does the yard work or, you know, he takes care of the maintenance of the house and, you know, he does other things or he makes more money and, and that's why. What is your response to that? So that, I think that those are all kind of excuses. Um, Alison Daminger uh, did some fantastic research and I, I cite her work in um, my chapter three. I wanna, uh, she, did, she did a study, first of all, she's the one that coined the term cognitive labor, which I think is fantastic. I use it exclusively. I prefer it over emotional labor or emotional burden because the work in the home is not emotional, it is cognitive. It is basically project management work, let's be honest. She also did this great work with um, different sex couples who all said they value gender equality, right? But they had the same gendered split in their home like everyone else, this, you know, two to one. And so she interviewed them. And what she found out is that when couples find out that their behavior does not match their value, they have three choices. They can change their values and be outward about like, oh, I guess, I guess I don't value gender equality. They can change their behavior, but that's really, really hard, especially men. Or they reframe the conversation so that it makes it look like it's not gender, it's something else. So they keep their value, they keep their behavior, but they don't have that label. And I think that what you just mentioned, he makes more money than me, that is an excuse that's that reframing the conversation it's a gendered issue that's just one of those excuses so it doesn't sound gender but we know because we have plenty of data we the washington post just had this out a few weeks ago we had data from before as well so we've seen this over years when men earn more money in a household in a different sex household the woman does more cognitive labor and physical labor in the household. When the woman earns more money, 
Does the man do more labor in the household? No, she just has purchasing power. So she outsources the work to nannies and cleaners and services. So it's hypocritical if you're going to look at it one way and not the other way. So I think that's a really good question for people entering relationships. Do you think that whoever makes more money gets to do less in the home? Why do you think that? Let's talk through that. I think that's a good place to start. Um, what was the other one you I actually love that. And I think that's a question we can pose tomorrow. Do you think when one partner or party ends more money, they should do less work? Right. That's, I mean, that's a fair question that you, sh you know, you can talk about when you're just starting out a relationship. It's interesting if you see what people say and just say, okay, does that work for both of us? <laughs> so if I earn more money, you're comfortable doing more housework? Or do you think that it's not about money and it's just about um, time? The other thing that you mentioned about, oh, he does the yard work, he does the car maintenance. So we have decades of data that shows that women tend to do um, routine indoor tasks. Female coded tasks are routine and indoor. They happen every day and they happen within the household. The laundry, the cooking, the cleaning, the taking care of kids, the managing homework, the um, fixing meals, the, the picking up, the stuff, all the stuff that takes up all of your minutes of all of your days. Men's coded tasks are outdoor and intermittent. They happen outside the walls and they happen every now and then. The yard doesn't need mowed every, every day. Maybe you can do it every weekend. If you skip a weekend, it's not a problem. If you live in a climate that has a winter, you get several months off. Um, maybe that's snow shoveling, so it changes. But basically, if you, if you don't feed your kids for a day, there's going to be an uproar in the house. If you don't mow your lawn for a day, it doesn't really matter. So the burden on female coded tasks are far greater than the burden on male coded tasks, which is why, again, we need to have a very intentional conversation. If we're going to split tasks in the household, and I think it goes far beyond just splitting tasks, I think we need to understand these underlying values and norms that we're raised with. But if we just go with what we're used to or we're comfortable with or what we saw our parents do, we fall back into these patterns of male-coded and female-coded tasks. Oh, I love I love this so much. Um, I think we've definitely covered a lot of ground. Um, tell us about when your book is going to be out. Um, you know what what are the key takeaways, and where can people find you and your book? Thank you, blessing. The book comes out this month, June twenty eighth. It will be in on your your favorite local bookstore or all of your online options. Um, it's on, there is an audiobook as well as an ebook. So however, however you like to read or listen, those will be available to you. And one thing that I'd like to close with is I want everyone to know that I am, in, I am the first one to admit very loudly, this is not a woman's problem to fix. Women, especially working women with little kids, you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders day to day. This is not up to you to fix. This is a problem that is far greater than any, uh, any of us as individuals. This is an intergenerational problem. It's going to take an intergenerational response. So we haven't, we didn't talk about it today, but the book talks a lot to grandparents. I talked to grandparents about what they can do. Aunts and uncles and friends and neighbors, people in faith community, um, 
a lot of people say, oh, my kids are out of the house. This book isn't for me. No, this book is especially for you because maybe you have time to read now <laughs> and it will give everyone in the community ideas about how we can start to shift norms to really embrace equal partnership, how we can raise our expectations for men, hold them accountable and and, you know, over time. Um, also work with boys so that we're raising another a new generation that is open to and capable of cognitive labor in a way that other generations of men and boys have not been. So those are some key takeaways from the book that I'm excited to share. Um, I have a website, katemangino.com, where you can get um, information on where I am and uh, what's um, what's going on with the book release. And I'm also active on at manginokate for Twitter. I love this so much. Thank you so much, Kate, for joining us today Thank on the Mother Podcast. I appreciate it. Um, I think so many people will walk away with various gems um, from this book and, you know, really actionable next step. There's nothing more exciting to me than picking up a book and highlighting all the amazing steps that we can all take. Um, whether you are a mom, a dad, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, Whoever you are, we all have a role to play to continue to create a future that is more gender um, neutral, a future that is, you know, gender fluid, uh, a future that is equal for everyone, um, a future that is inclusive. I think that's the, the biggest takeaway for me is everyone has a role to play. Um, it doesn't matter if you are LGBTQ, it doesn't matter if you are black, white, Latino, um, what matters is that you care about about yourself, you care about society, you care about you know the future generations and how they show up for for each other. Um, thank you, thank you so much. Really appreciate you. And I already have the book, but I'm going to order the audio because I just always love to like hear, um, you know, listen to audiobooks as I drive. So I think that's going to be important. Um, it's a very bad thing for me because I, I purchase books and then I purchase the audio. So, but I love it. I love that I'm able to support. I love audio too. Thank you. And the woman who, the narrator for my book has become a friend of mine and she's fantastic. So I think she does a really great job with reading the book. Um, and I think that's a, a great option for people that their reading hours are limited, which I'm the same way. I also listen to books in the car. Maybe we shouldn't admit that, but we do. I know, right? I know. All right. Thank you so much, Kate. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Mother Honestly podcast, a production of the Motor City Woman. Before you go, the Mother Honestly membership is open. We offer programs and toolkits that support you on the home front and work front. Corporate memberships are also available for employers looking to provide real solutions to employees at home and at work. Our Mother Honestly team are Robin Kinney, Audrey Goodson Kingle, Christine All, Oluchi Obonaya, Fumbi Showande, and more. Follow us on social media at Mother Honestly. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Your reviews are important to us. Leave us a review and share with a friend. Come back next week as we level up with Indeed.